I am Mona Lee Gibbs, final year MA student at the Graduate Institute of Geneva, hosting this podcast on behalf of DCAF's SDG 16 project on security sector governance and reform and the attainment of peaceful, just, and inclusive societies. On this episode, I speak with our three guests, Dr. Wilhelm van Rensburg, Ms. Nicolette van Zalguz, and Professor Linde Heineken to discuss the latest DCAF publication entitled Parliament's Contributions to Security Sector Governance and Reform and the Sustainable Development Goals Testing Parliament's Resolve in Security Sector Governance During COVID-19. We will look at the role of the security sector towards SDG 16, parliamentary oversight, as well as best practices and recommendations. To begin, I now invite our guests to briefly introduce themselves. Good afternoon, Mona Lee. My name is Wilhelm van Rensburg. I'm a researcher with the Parliament of South Africa, where I support the two defense committees of the Parliament. I'm also a research fellow at the Stellenbosch University Security Institute for Governance and Leadership in Africa. Good day, I'm Nicolette van Pauwgaus. I'm also a researcher at the Parliament of South Africa, and I specialize in parliamentary oversight of the police and policing statutory body. Hello everyone, I'm I'm Lindy Heineken. I'm currently the chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology. I'm a military sociologist looking at the interface between armed forces and society. And I'm also president of the International Sociological Association's Armed Forces and Conflict Resolution Committee. Let's start by placing parliamentary oversight in context. Your research points to reports of abuse and human rights violations by security sector actors during the pandemic, suggesting a breakdown in oversight. Can you elaborate a bit on parliamentary oversight of the security sector before the pandemic and how the crisis affected parliament's ability to oversee these actors? So basically, what was the situation before the pandemic and how did the situation change? I think a good place to start and where we started in our paper is to look at the general functions of parliament. Uh, There are five specific functions of parliament, the legislative function, oversight function, representation function, the budgetary function, and the elective function. And we started by looking at these functions of parliament to see how they relate to security sector governance and where it places the role of parliament in security sector governance. And to get your question around how well the parliaments of the UK, the Philippines, and South Africa oversaw the security sector in the period before COVID-19. There's a number of research papers in the past that has been published that looked at this. For example, 2013 Transparency International posed a study on this, uh, looking at the quality of legislative oversight of defense and related corruption risks in countries. And if you look at where they place the three case studies that we have in this paper, it shows that the UK has a very low corruption risk in its defense environment. South Africa has a moderate risk and the Philippines as a high risk. And this means that these are three varying case studies. There is a number of other studies. Um, It might be of value for readers to look at the December 2021 publication by DCAF called Contributions of Parliaments to SDG 16. There's a whole case study in there around the Philippines conducted by Professor Aguja. In this paper, it is noted that the quality of oversight of the security sector in the Philippines remains wanting due to a lack of ability of political willingness to exercise oversight. And that shows you that there are some concerns around parliamentary oversight 
of the security sector in the Philippines. Similarly, other studies have shown similar concerns in South Africa, where we've seen democratic backslide and a gradual decline in the quality of democracy, and specifically parliamentary oversight of defense has shown a decline. And the reason why I summarize this backdrop pre-COVID is to show that the three case studies that we have selected are three very different case studies, and they've had different levels of parliamentary oversight of the security sector before COVID-19. And all of a sudden, with COVID-19 arriving, you have this big equalizer. It's the same threat facing three parliaments, all with different strengths and its own concerns. And that's what we try to look at in this paper, is how these parliaments then address the concerns around security sector governance and oversight of the security sector facing the same threat in COVID-19. Perhaps Nicolette can expand a bit more on the impact that the pandemic has had on parliamentary oversight. I think definitely the COVID-19 had a marked impact on parliamentary governors. The immediate response was to suspend the parliamentary functions and programs for various reasons, but mostly to adapt to social distancing. Our case studies reveal that the South African, Philippine, and UK parliaments were initially ill-prepared or equipped to perform their functions outside the confines of the physical legislature. However, the countries really adapted relatively quickly to the new normal of having virtual and hybrid plenary sessions and committee meetings. And although it took some time to establish the required ICT infrastructure, the capabilities and revision of parliamentary processes were implemented successfully to allow for greater oversight, especially at committee level. And as we know, during the initial stages, there were many interruptions during meetings, but as members adapted to virtual platforms, parliamentary governance definitely improved. So the widespread use of the security sector during COVID-19 exacerbated the threat of excessive forms of policing and military intrusions. Why does it matter for SDG 16? And were these parliaments able to reconcile good governance principles with the need to manage the pandemic? Yeah, thank you for that question. It's a really important question, specifically as it links to the sustainable development goal that addresses the need for for peace, justice, and strong institutions. So obviously, if your parliamentary institutions are weakened, then it affects things like justice and the ability to deal with human rights abuses. And what one saw, especially initial stages of COVID, was executive overreach, which implied that there was very little legislative input or debates around the use of the security forces. And the challenges came in mainly where the security forces were used in a coercive role, an internal deployment for which they were neither trained or prepared or funded to actually perform the various functions. And where the message by the executives as well as military leaders were portrayed as fighting an enemy, that's exactly what some of the soldiers went out to do is to combat those that were guilty of the lockdown violations by using um, a very aggressive behavior or even excessive force, and in South Africa, even resulting in the death of people in trying to get them to comply then 
with the legislation. What we saw here in terms of the need for accountability and transparency and participatory decision-making was the need, if the military is going to be deployed in these types of roles amongst the citizens of a country, the importance of a code of conduct specific to their mission. And we see this then coming later on as a result of pressure from civil society on the oversight committees and also from the military ombudsman. So these are some of the lessons learned here. So what one sees is executive oversight in the beginning, but coming over time, more pressure on the oversight to hold the military to account in terms of their conduct and future conduct. Just to add to what Lindy said in relation to your question around SDG 16, uh, what we try to do in the paper as well is draw a very clear link between SDG 16 and its various targets and the concept of good security sector governance, and then linking this all to the parliamentary functions. And we try to summarize this in a table within the paper where you can see there's a real link between uh, the SDG 16 targets and how parliamentary functions can actually affect these targets and the achievement thereof. And I think uh, what Lindy spoke to was demonstrating that there's a link between SDG 16, good security sector governance, and the roles of parliament, but that this link sort of came under pressure and was tested during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially during those initial phases. And that's where we saw security sector misconduct and parliaments failing to execute its oversight role in relation to the deployments of the security sector. So as the situation progressed, we saw Parliament reasserting its oversight role. On that note, I would like to ask you to share your reflections and some of the lessons learned and possible best practices and any recommendations you would like to highlight. Once Parliament's adapted to virtual platforms, various lessons and best practices started to emerge. The South African Parliament only had its first virtual plenary months after the initial implementation of the state of disaster. But despite the time delay, it started off with a question session with the ministers in the security cluster. Thereafter, the focus really increased on budgetary oversight, human rights violations, and the general conduct of the security services. Recordings of committee meetings became increasingly available on various media platforms such as YouTube, uh, which was a significant improvement in the transparency and accessibility of these meetings to the general public. And then one of the other key lessons learned in the South African case is the possibility that secondary legislation can be misused to avoid parliamentary oversight, although long debates at the time would have been impractical and arguably inappropriate. Parliament should have had some degree of legislative powers to oversee government's response to the pandemic in South Africa. If we turn to the Philippine Parliament, it continued its legislative role and adopted specific or new legislation in response to the pandemic. The initial and subsequent legislation included checks and balances with reporting requirements, as well as a sunset clause. The use of the sunset clause should be considered as a best practice to guard against legislative misuse and these legislations dragging on for extended periods um, of time. 
Turning to the UK Parliament, it also adopted new legislation in reply to the pandemic, but it was approved without debate in Parliament, circumventing the general accepted parliamentary process. And the response by the government relied heavily on secondary legislation to enforce the lockdown. But it did continue its legislative role despite the circumstances and committees also quickly adapted and embarked on in-depth inquiries into the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, including testimony from outside experts, which is generally a best practice. It has shown that the use also of secondary legislation should be cautiously applied in times of emergency to allow for greater transparency and accountability by Parliament. Thanks, Nicolette. Uh, perhaps just to add, uh, while there was a number of negative examples of misuse of power, for example, we also saw the positive use of the security sector in the three case studies that we looked at. For example, in South Africa, the UK and the Philippines, the militaries were used to transport medical equipment or to provide assistance to local healthcare facilities. And this is a positive example of where countries face a non-security related threat, but use their security sector to address the problem positively, and in so doing, contribute to SDG 16 and even a number of other SDG-related uh, goals. Turning to the recommendations we've made in this paper, there's a number of recommendations that we put in the last chapter of this uh, paper for easy access, and we try to divide them according to the roles and functions of parliaments. Firstly, in terms of the legislative role of parliament, the first recommendation is that parliaments should ensure clear laws to guide military deployments and the roles of parliaments in this legislation should be defined. This is important, as we saw in the COVID-19 pandemic, where a number of countries used their militaries to address the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's of specific concern where militaries are deployed internally, domestically. Therefore, it should be clear in legislation how these deployments should occur and what parliament's oversight and approval role is in this process. The second recommendation, was spoken about by Lindy and Nicolette, and this is regarding the misuse of secondary legislation. It is important for parliaments to have legislation in place that prevents the misuse of secondary legislation, specifically when such legislation undermines the oversight role of parliament. Lastly, in terms of the legislative role of parliaments, it is important that the security sector utilization should be linked to the SDGs. And this practically could play out, for example, in parliamentary committees, where committees that oversee the military or the police or other security sector institutions should ask these institutions to report on the impact that their deployments have on the SDGs and specifically on SDG 16. And this will help parliaments track the impact and the attainment of the SDGs. Moving on to parliament's representation function, uh, Nicolette spoke a lot about the adaptation of parliaments towards a virtual system. And the recommendation we drew from this is that parliament should maintain its functionality. And we saw that parliaments were successful in this regard in moving to a virtual or hybrid system. And these uh, lessons learned should be taken forward to ensure that parliaments maintain its functionality uh, even in times of crisis. Moving on to parliament's budgetary function, it is important for parliaments to adequately 
provide funds for ombuds institutions or independent police investigative institutions. As Lindy noted, for example, in South Africa, the deployment of the military resulted in the death of some people. And it's important that ombuds institutions have the capacity and the funding to investigate such cases of misconduct. The second uh, budgetary recommendation we, we make for parliaments is that they must ensure that they focus on evidence-based budgeting for the security sector. We saw in a number of countries around the world that the emergency procurement of COVID-19-related protective gear resulted in corruption and other forms of fraud. And it's important that in the budgeting process of parliament, this is addressed specifically with the help of audit institutions that aid parliament. Moving on to the role, uh, oversight role of parliament, it is important that parliaments prevent a silo approach to oversight of the security sector. It is very important for committees that oversee defense and committees that oversee police or other committees that oversee security sectors, institutions, that they continue with their oversight of those specific departments or entities. But it is also important for parliaments to look a bit broader at the security sector as a whole and not just focus on them individually, specifically when there are large-scale deployments of the security sector, as we saw during uh, the initial COVID-19 period in 2020. And lastly, in terms of the oversight role of parliaments, linking it to the good governance principle of transparency, it is important that parliaments aim to enhance transparency around the security sector. And we saw this improve over time. Nicolette spoke, for example, about the availability of meeting information on YouTube in South Africa, which wasn't the case before COVID-19. This is a tool that aids the information availability around the security sector. And parliaments can enhance this by finding other ways through their websites or through social media platforms to enhance the availability of information around the security sector to journalists and to the public. We added this section to the last chapter of our paper, and we hope that it will be of help to members of parliament and their staff around the world to see whether these recommendations we make and the lessons learned reflect in their parliaments and how it could assist to ensure better oversight of the security sector, ultimately contributing to SDG 16. I don't know if any of my colleagues want to add a final word, but that is it from me. Thank you, Helen. You summed it up perfectly. I think one other lesson that comes out of this is highlighting just the importance of parliamentary oversight and the extent to which this is important to ensure that justice prevails and that there is a respect for human rights and that where they are violated, how the public can then hold security forces accountable. I think this has been something that has emerged quite strongly from this experience. Thank you for such extensive response. As we bring this episode to an end, a key takeaway has been the focus of parliamentary oversight to manage how people are affected by security policies in times of crisis. Listeners are encouraged to read the paper, which is available at DCAF ch slash sdg16 thank you to our guests will helm nicolette and lindy 